Well, hello. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Glad to have you guys here. I want to welcome everybody uh, to Seacoast Church. Memorial Day weekend is officially, obviously, a day that we honor and recognize those who've given their lives uh, up for us in service to our country. It's also a weekend that uh, I thank God that I live in Charleston, South Carolina. It's been beautiful. If you're joining us online from somewhere where it's not, uh, we're sorry. Um, but we uh, are glad that you're with us and uh, just hope that God will speak to you. I want to welcome all of our campuses as well. Uh, We're glad to have everybody along for the ride. You know, when I kind of knew what the topic was going to be that we would be discussing this weekend, I sat down with a couple who uh, years ago had gone through a pretty, pretty crazy, pretty messy story, and and they gave me permission to share a little bit of their story. So I want to share some of their story with you. Uh, They were both involved in Uh, previous marriages, uh, and in those marriages there were children involved, and uh, they had kind of got to a point in those marriages where things were just deteriorating, and both of them had given up hope that the marriages would would work. And uh, so this couple uh, meets each other, Uh, the the husband of one marriage goes into a bar, and the wife of the other marriage is bartending. And uh, so they begin to kind of share each other's stories and get to know each other, and Months would pass and the divorces would kind of become finalized and they would become uh, more involved. Sparks would kind of fly and eventually in them kind of finding comfort with each other, uh, a baby was conceived. Now, this couple made uh, the decision, unwise decision, they would say, I would say, to to terminate this pregnancy. Uh, A few months go by and then they conceive another child. Uh, This time they decide, well, go ahead and have the child and, and a baby girl is born. And so can you kind of get the feeling that's a bit of a, a bit of a messy, messy situation? And, and the question now that they're wrestling with and they, they want to kind of figure out and they seek counsel on is, should we get married or not? Well, what does the Bible say about our situation? How many of you are glad you're not the pastor that counseled them through, through that one? You know, what does Jesus say about divorce and remarriage? And the truth is, is that there are many of us that are here today that definitely the details would be slightly different, but, but you can identify with this couple's story. Maybe you've recently gone through a divorce or you've experienced a divorce yourself and, and you know kind of the pain that goes with that and you've, you've wrestled with some of these questions. If not, you most certainly have someone that's close to you that has, either a parent or a child, or maybe a friend that you know, co-worker, someone in your small group. But we've, we've walked through this and we've wrestled with these questions. And honestly, times really haven't changed much because Jesus actually addressed the same concerns, the same questions 2,000 years ago in the Bible. And, and what we're going to do today is we're going we're gonna to talk about it. We're in a series right now that's called Outrageous. If you're new to Seacoast, what we've really wanted to do in the series is we've wanted to look at what are some of the most outrageous things that Jesus said. And, and instead of ignoring them or kind of brushing them off or, 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 or pretending like they don't exist, uh, let's really wrestle with them. Let's dig into them. Let's find out what did Jesus really mean? What did, he, what did he mean when he said that? And how does it apply to my life? And as we've kind of done that, we found that Jesus said outrageous things sometimes because he expected his followers to live outrageous lives. And I believe Jesus said some outrageous things about marriage because he expected his followers to live outrageous marriages, that that people would see Christian marriages and go, wow, that is different. That's something. And so we're going to just kind of tackle it today. Before we do, I just want to acknowledge that that this can be a very sensitive subject. And there's all kinds of stories 
in this church, at all of our campuses, of people who are in varying degrees of, of pain and difficulty and challenge related to either a marriage that seems like it's fallen apart right now, or maybe you've been divorced recently and the, the pain is still fresh, or you're in another marriage. And so I recognize this is very sensitive. Uh, and, and what I would say to you is, is you've come to the right church this weekend. Uh, we're not going to make light of that. We're not going to uh, do anything in that, in that pain to, to, to make it worse. This is a grace-filled place, and you've come to the right church. And I believe if you're in a marriage that's struggling, or, or maybe you've recently divorced, you've come on the right weekend. You've come on the right weekend. If you're not married, you're single, maybe you're here checking it out, this is the right weekend for you too because chances are one day you're gonna kind of walk down the road of, of getting married. And, and I think Jesus' words are very applicable to us wh- whatever season that we find ourselves in. So the kind of guiding principle for us this weekend as we kind of dig into this difficult text is a passage of scripture that Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, wrote in Romans 8, uh, verse one. And here's what it says, one of my favorite verses. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, okay? So that's the starting point. What does that mean? That means that if any point during our time together, you begin to feel a sense of guilt or shame or condemnation or you feel like you, you, know, you kind of are stuck in your past, just know that's not the voice of Jesus in your life. This says if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Now, if you experience conviction and, and it's something that kind of leads you to a better future, that may be the Holy Spirit, but there's no condemnation. So we're all on the same page. Let's dive into it. Matthew 19, verses three through 10. It says, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question, him being Jesus. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Jesus replies, haven't you read the scriptures? Which by the way, that would be an insult to these people. The Pharisees that were asking him, they had memorized the scriptures by the time they were like seven years old. So Jesus, I kind of like that about him. He kind of throws it back. Haven't you read the scriptures? He says, they record from the, that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So they have questions. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. And Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then said to him, if this is the case, it is better not to marry. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for uh, your word. Thank you for your truth. Uh, Thank you for even the tough stuff. And this passage of scripture, which lands on many of us different than others and on many of us very, very heavy. I just pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, and I thank you that your word is so relevant to our lives today. God, your word also says that you oppose the proud and give grace to the humble. So we pray that you would humble the Miami Heat in this series or the next. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Sorry. The spirit moved. Did you guys feel that? It was like... So, um, so what I want to do with this passage is first, before we kind of get into trying to try to understand it a little bit, give you a little bit of context. How many of you know context is important? 
And, and, and in this passage, Jesus is not sitting down with a couple who's struggling and whose hearts are broken and, 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 and they ask him a genuine question and, and he's responding. He, he, that doesn't mean it changes what he says. It just means it's important to understand the context. And, and Jesus says these Pharisees were trying to trap him with a question. And here's the deal. Divorce in that time was a political hot button. It was a widely debated political issue. And in, the, in the, the, the Pharisees, there were two distinct camps. Uh, and, and they were kind of at odds with each other. In one corner over here, you had a, a rabbi. His name was Hillel. Can you say Hillel? Hillel. And, and this guy was a rock star. He had a huge following, a lot of followers on Twitter and Instagram and, you know, popular dude. And he's teaching. And, and the, the, the verse that they're debating is a verse in Deuteronomy 24. You can look it up on your own if you want to. Deuteronomy 24.1. And, and it's a, a verse about remarriage. And in it, it says that if, if a man finds fault with his wife, uh, he, he can divorce her. And, and Hillel focuses on the words, if a man finds fault for his wife. And, and, and he was a proponent that said, listen, it doesn't matter what it is. For any reason whatsoever, you can get divorced. So it, it, it doesn't matter what the issue is. So he would even have said that if, if your wife burnt the chicken last night, and, and the meal, and it bothered you, and maybe she's done it a few times, get, get out of that thing, you're fine. Just give her a certificate of divorce, move on, and you can do it. You send your wife to the red box to pick up a flick, and it, she comes home with a chick flick. You know what? You got grounds for divorce right there. You can end it. And, and he literally says, it doesn't matter what the issues are. Any cause, no fault, divorce. And, and he had a lot of Pharisees that were, they, they would call themselves in the house of Hillel, which means they're followers and they subscribe to his teaching. And so he's over here and he's arguing this point. And then in the other corner, in this, in this fight, you've got a guy, his name is Shammai. Can you say Shammai? And, and Shammai, while Hillel, if he was being interviewed on the news, he would be like on MSNBC. Shammai would have been interviewed on Fox News. He was a little bit more conservative. And, and Shammai would go, no, 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 you're misunderstanding what the Bible says. See, in that verse, it says, if a man finds fault for his wife for any reason that she's unclean, and he would focus on the for any reason that's unclean, and, and it literally translates to a word that uh, it's hard for us, but it would, it would maybe translate to the word nakedness. And so it implies like sexual immorality. And, and so he says, no, no, no. It has to be sexual morality. That's, that's where the focus is on this verse. And so he would say, you cannot have a divorce for any reason other than sexual morality. And there's some reasons that both of them would have agreed on in Judaism, which would be neglect or abandonment of a spouse. So if someone got married and then they just completely negle- neglected them and completely abandoned them, didn't fulfill any of their needs, that that, that would be allowable for divorce. And so this is kind of the context. This is the, the fight that Jesus is stepping into. And so they come to him and they're trying to trap him. And what I love about Jesus is that if they had come to me with a hot button issue like that, knowing that their motives were to trap me, I wouldn't have touched it. No, 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 you, you guys are going to have to figure that out on your own. I'm not going to be a, a pawn in your little fight. But Jesus isn't afraid of our questions, even when the motives aren't necessarily sincere. And he tackles this issue. And so what I want to do is just take a couple minutes with you, and, and, and I'm going to paint with a broad brush. Uh, as you know, there are a lot of different places and people, and I, I'm not going to be able to touch on every circumstance. But as we read this passage, I think there's some things we can learn about Jesus' heart towards marriage and divorce. And so let's jump in. The first thing that I think we can learn is that Jesus sets a high standard for marriage. Jesus sets a high standard for marriage. See, really in any issue, if you look at Jesus's life, he was a standard lifter. He wasn't a standard lower. 
See, there are several scriptures. One is, uh, he says, if, you, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's, he takes the standard and he raises it. And he raises the standard on marriage. He said, before we can get into your question about divorce, you need to know the original intent for, for marriage. And what's interesting is that while his statements land on our culture as outrageous, it would not have landed as an outrageous statement for the early church. Because in the first three to 500 years of Christianity, Marriage was a rock. I mean, people would look at Christian marriages and go, man, you can no more be unmarried than you could be unsaved because they really took Jesus at his word. They were so secure and so safe. Pagans would look at them and be like, wow, these guys, these guys are, I mean, that's interesting. When they really go to the altar, they mean it and they stick it out and they stay married. And I believe that the reason that marriages are in so much trouble today has little to do with the judicial system or some liberal agenda or Hollywood. I honestly believe that the reason that marriages are in so much trouble today is because the church has kind of refused to take Jesus at his word. The church gave up a long time ago on what Jesus said about marriage because it's so impractical. It's so difficult to grasp. It's so difficult to apply. But it's a starting point. See, look at what the disciples said after Jesus' comments about divorce and remarriage. Like, it just kind of shows you how impractical it was. They, they, they say, Jesus' disciples then said to him, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. That wasn't a question, by the way. That was a, a statement with an exclamation point. They're like, so, so you're saying we should stay single. And Jesus didn't really argue it. You know, he, he didn't really, he didn't go, no, 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 you misunderstood me. And so if you kind of hear what Jesus says about marriage and, and you maybe have a thought that goes, well, I wonder if I should, should get married. Is that what he said? You, know, you probably have accurately understood what he said about marriage because he lifts the bar. He raises it. Let's reread what he said. He said, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. He's saying, listen, listen guys, you're arguing about a certificate of divorce. You need to know before we get into that, marriage is so much more than a piece of paper. Marriage is so much more than a certificate. See, you're arguing about, about a verse in Deuteronomy. I wanna take you back even further to Genesis. I wanna take you back to God's original intent. And, and you need to know that when, when a couple comes together and, and when God brings a couple together, they, they literally, something mystical happens. They become one flesh. And, and you're talking about unseparating something, making something unone that God has made one. And, and it, it's just, it just, it's not as simple as you're making it out to be. And so don't get into this until you understand marriage. And would you agree with me that our culture has lowered the bar a little bit on marriage? I was reading an article this week about Connor Shaw, who's a former Gamecocks quarterback and was drafted in the NFL. And recently he announced that him and his fiance are expecting a baby. Uh, and they're not married. And so, um, you know, you can imagine that there are some believers who took issue with that, who struggled with that, and, you know, felt like, wow, that's, that's disappointing. And uh, some of them who apparently have no sin of their own decided to get up on fa- social media and Facebook and bash Connor Shaw, which is, you know, probably not the wise thing to do. But, but I read an article that uh, a guy who, who works for, it's called the Garnet and Black, I think it's, it's, a, it's a newspaper for the college, Uh, wrote an article that I think really accurately portrays what our culture currently thinks about marriage. Let me read you a couple pieces from it. 
He says, it's a cool thing that they decided to get married, but it would be nobody's business to complain about it if they didn't. Being married to another person need not involve anything more than going to a courthouse and signing a legal document. You are not made a better person by having accomplished this clerical task. Foregoing this step will not make any children that you go on to bear and raise more intelligent, more charitable, more athletic, more curious, more talented, more dedicated, or more pious. He says marrying someone requires you to sign more paperwork if you later decide that you want to end the relationship. That's inconvenient. He says you're creating legal and financial barriers to splitting up. You might save some money on taxes and things will be much less complicated if something terrible happens to either of you. That's about it. There's nothing inherently honorable about responding to legal incentives. And then he goes on to say, next summer, I'm going to marry the person that I've been in a relationship for the past eight years. This is the writer. He says, I'm looking forward to the wedding because I love my fiance and I'm excited about inviting friends and family to, be, to a party to celebrate our relationship. I don't expect to be a better person after the ceremony's over. I don't expect to be more prepared for fatherhood. I expect to spend a lot of time obsessing over vows uh, that need to be equal parts um, touching, non-cliche, and hilarious, and I expect to get wasted and dance to 90s hip-hop anthems. Some of you guys have a testimony on that. He says, I expect us to go on a honeymoon to a place we've never been, and then after all that, I expect to come back home to our apartment and continue living the exact same life I've been living and would have happily continued living whether or not I had signed a piece of paper and spent several thousand dollars on a party. Pretty low bar. Pretty, pretty low standard on marriage, isn't it? It says it's really not a big deal. And frankly, when I read about his experience, if you kind of decide you're gonna kind of ignore God's commands about our sexuality and you just kind of jump into it, I can see how the standard would kind of get lowered a little bit. And God's saying, hey, listen, listen. I have a really high value on marriage. My, my standard, I take marriage so, so seriously. And so, so you need to know that marriage is a big deal. It's not a contract, it's a covenant. When two people get married, something happens beyond an overpriced party and a honeymoon. In God's eyes, we become one flesh. And he says, let no man separate that. Why did he set the bar so high for marriage? I think part of it is it because it's a reflection of his heart for us. You know, the metaphor that the Bible uses more than any other for Jesus's relationship with the church is the marriage. And Jesus says, hey, I, I laid down my life for the church. I died for the church. I'm never going to split up with the church. Even when the church gets a little flabby, a little overweight, starts kind of doing things that I don't like, I'm not going to leave the church. And, and when, I, when people, when culture sees marriages in the church, I want them to see a picture of my heart towards people. And, and so the bar is set really high for marriage. So if you're considering getting married today, can I just encourage you to go through pre premarital counseling, there's a reason that we set that up. Talk to some people, understand what you're getting into. Understand that there's so much life in marriage. Marriage is amazing, but the bar is high. It's not just something that, you know, you can kind of go into as a starter marriage. Uh, starter marriages are intended to be finishing marriages too. And, and that's the way that God designed it. That's his heart towards, towards marriage. And so that's the first thing that we can learn. The bar is high. The second thing I think that we can learn by reading what Jesus said is that Jesus sets an even higher standard for divorce. He sets an even higher standard for divorce. And, and, and if, you're, if you've been divorced, you probably understand this. I've sat down with several families this week that have experienced it. And you know that, that divorce is not just a solution to a problem. 
It doesn't minimize your pain. In fact, a lot of times it, it, it brings on more pain. And, and, and there's a part of you that, that, that kind of dies when you go through a divorce. Jesus says that the, the, the issues are still gonna be there. A piece of paper can't undo the mess that you're in. And there's a lot of reasons that people get divorced these days, right? I mean, irreconcilable differences being one of them. You know, those differences that were so awesome when it was your boyfriend or girlfriend and they drew you to them, all of a sudden they're just like, we, we can't figure it out. You know, we can't work through these differences. Sometimes we hear people say, well, we just, we fell out of love. You know, we fell out of love. And, 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 and I love what Craig Rochelle said about that. He said, to get divorced because love has died is like selling your car because it's run out of gas, right? I mean, love is something that you've got to put into your, your, your relationship. If you've been married very long, you know that, that there are times that you feel it and times that you don't. That's why Jesus said, uh, you know, answered their question. They said, why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? And Jesus said, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Wow, that's outrageous. I mean, that's, that's a little in your face. I mean, that's a little, wow. So you're saying that, that if I got divorced for any reason other than adultery and I've remarried, you're saying that my very act of, of getting married again was, was adultery? That's what it says. It's outrageous. Yeah, that's, that's tough, tough to swallow. Some of you are going, so does that mean I should end my second marriage because it, uh, you know, it was adulterous and, and I should get, get out of that marriage? Some of you are going, sweet, I think I got a verse and a, a pastor who told me, that, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. We'll get to that, we'll get to that. You know, I heard a quote from Rick Warren this week that I thought was really cool. He said, when God wants to make a giant oak, he takes 100 years. But it, when he wants to make a mushroom, he does it overnight. Great souls are grown through struggles and storms and seasons of suffering. Be patient with the process. And, and I don't know about you, but, but I don't want a mushroom marriage. I woke up this morning and, and like, felt like a, a whole field of mushrooms had you know, grown up overnight in my yard. And, and, and what I know about them is they come quick and they'll go quick. I'll get rid of them this afternoon. But, but a lot of marriages are like that. You know, we fall into love and then we just fall out of love. And it's like it stops and it starts. And, you know, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian got married yesterday. And I hope they do great. But, but if, it's, if history is any indicator of kind of these celebrity marriages, they just don't last very long. And my prayer for myself and for our church is that we would have marriages that look like oaks of righteousness. That, that, that take time. And, and the only way to get a marriage that would be like an oak that's roots are dug deep is, is to weather a few storms, to, to get through some stuff together. And, and my prayer for the marriages that are here in this church, maybe you're here today and you're in a marriage that's just been struggling. Maybe you've even begun to kind of check out and think about divorce. I would just encourage you. It's, it's gonna take getting through some of these storms. And I believe that some of the strongest marriages that are represented at Seacoast Church today have been through some really tough stuff. And while Jesus says adultery is, is, is a reason that, that, that you're allowed to get divorced, I've seen some couples that have gotten through even adultery and come on the other side of it and become strong and stable and there's just a richness and, 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 and God gets glory in that. 
And I believe the number one indicator of whether or not a marriage is gonna make it, when someone comes into my office and we start talking about it, what I'm looking for is hope because I think hope is an indicator. See, if people believe, if they know that if, if, if I can somehow, some way make it through this and if, if God were to show up that this could get better, that this relationship could be stronger, you, you know, there's a little bit of hope in there. God can take that and, and go a long way with it. But when I talk to couples who have already begun to just really fantasize and think about what life's gonna be like on the other side of the, the marriage and, and they're kind of already gone there and they're, they're kind of minimizing the impact it's gonna have on their kids uh, and it kind of shows that hope is gone, it's a scary, scary place to be. Well, I wanna give you a little bit of hope because most of us have heard the stats, right? 50% of marriages end in divorce. It's kind of a commonly held viewpoint. Well, Shanti Feldham, who has actually spoken here a couple of years ago, uh, wrote a new book. And she quoted a, a survey, a 2009 Census Bureau report that said the actual percentage of people who are still married to their first spouse is 72%. So I looked it up. I, I went online and looked up the U.S. Census Bureau report from 2009. You can go look it up too if you want to. And sure enough, they've been researching since I think the, the 50s, 1955, and couples that have, have got married that are still married to the same person they married the first time, 72%, and that includes death. So, so I would say that the stats on divorce may not be as accurate as we think they are. And I would say that lines up with my experience as a pastor because I know, especially in the church, it does happen, but it's not, it's not as prevalent as maybe you, you would wanna think. And so I know that sometimes you go through challenging times in your marriage and you think, well, man, if, if half of the people couldn't make it, then maybe I can't either. If, if half couples get divorced, and then what's to say I could do it? And I just wanna encourage you, that may not be entirely true. And Shanti Feldman in her book, she actually did some more research because another stat that Barna has, has put out before says that Christians have the same exact divorce rate as culture, uh, as, as non-Christians. And so Shanti Feldman uh, took, worked with Barna to kind of redo those surveys. And instead of asking if you're a Christian by name, because if people who say they're a Christian, that's true. But she asked, are you actively involved in your church? Did you attend church last weekend? And if people said yes to that question, the percentage dropped big time. And so I just wanna encourage you, there's hope in this relationship. There's hope on the other side of this storm. You may say, well, you don't know my situation, Josh. You know, maybe there's abuse or maybe there's addiction. And you know what? You're right, I don't. And I don't pretend to know your situation. I certainly don't make light of it. Here's what I would ask you though. Here's what I would ask you. You came to Seacoast, you came to your church, you came to the church for input when you got married. I would just beg you, please come to the church for input before you give up on your marriage. Because there's a lot of people in this place and in our campuses that have walked through some really tough stuff. After the last service, I had two couples that have walked through some really, really difficult circumstances that said, I just want you to know I'm willing to talk. Anybody needs to talk, I'm willing to talk to them because they've, they've made it to the other side and they've experienced the richness that is a, a marriage that weathers some storms. So don't give up. Don't give up, hang in there. Get some help, talk to some people and, and don't give up hope on your marriage. So some of you, you're divorced, maybe for the wrong reasons. Maybe you've remarried and, and you read that passage of scripture and you go, oh my gosh, well, what, where do I stand? Where, where do I stand at Seacoast if, if I've walked down that road? 
And what I would say is you stand right alongside the rest of us adulterers because look what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27 to 28. He said, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, Jesus raised the bar, not only in marriage, but in all aspects of life. And so, so there's no condemnation, but it's worth wrestling with and embracing Jesus's words. So he, he raises the bar, sets a high standard on marriage. He sets an even higher standard on divorce. Let me finish with a third observation. And it's this. Jesus will tell us what we should do, but he'll never tell us what we should have done. See, you're not gonna hear from Jesus. You should have, should have, should have. He'll tell us what we should do because he wants us to live an abundant life, but he's not gonna drag you through your past. And in order to accurately understand and interpret what Jesus meant by what he said, we have to look at the way that he lived his life. And, and if you watch the way that Jesus lived his life, there are a couple of different circumstances where he came into contact with someone who was on the other side of it, who'd been through the painful road, the painful journey of adultery, of divorce. And in one case in particular, there was a woman in John chapter eight, the adulterous woman is the only, that's what we know her as. Uh, it's not what Jesus knew her as, but it's, it's what we know her as. And, and she was actually caught in the act of adultery. Uh, and so some, some Pharisees found her, maybe probably some that were, were standing here when Jesus is addressing this. And, and they drag her presumably naked through the streets and they bring her to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, this woman was just caught in adultery. And you know the law says that if anyone is uh, com- convicted of adultery, that they're to be stoned. Not in the way some of you in Colorado that are watching are thinking and viewing that word, but, but, but he says, so what do you say? What should we do? Should we stone her? And Jesus says, you know what? You're right. That's what the law says. So here, here, here's how we're gonna do this. How about the person among us who has no sin? Why don't you throw the first stone? And if you've ever heard the story, you know that slowly but surely, one by one, they drop their rocks and they walk away. And at the end of the day, Jesus is standing there with this woman. And here's, here's what he says to her. He says, Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Did he lower the bar? Did he say, ah, your sin's not really that big of a deal? No. In fact, he raised, he said, go and sin no more. But he said, neither do I. And and if you're here today and, and, and you're on the other side of a divorce or going through some really difficult circumstances, you just need to hear those words from Jesus. Neither do I. I don't condemn you. I'm not gonna drag you through your past. In fact, I love you. In fact, the very reason that I went to Calvary, I went to the cross and, and bore the sins of the world is, is for you, for your circumstances. Because Jesus wants us to give our all to, the, to, to our marriages. That's why he sets the bar so high. But he gave his all so that when we fail, we don't have to, to live in, 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 in the bondage of our past. We can be forgiven. He doesn't condemn us. In fact, I love 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. I love that. No longer counting 
our sins against us. That's God's heart towards you, regardless of where you're at. So, you guys remember the story that I told you earlier about the couple and, you know, the mess that was their circumstances. They had the the baby girl and they're trying to decide, should we get married or should we not? Well, as we kind of bring our time to a close, I wanted to introduce you to that baby to kind of tell you how that story turned out. You guys up for that? All right, so would you welcome my wife, Lisa, who happens to be the baby that I was talking about uh, to the stage? You turned out all right. Just kidding. Great. So obviously the, the circumstances that you were born into were, were kind of crazy. You, know, you want to talk about that for a minute? Um, I will say my parents made a lot of mistakes, and the circumstances I was born into, um, it was a mess. But that's not the life I experienced. You see, uh, a few years after I was born, there came a turning point where my parents decided... We can't fix this mess on our own. We need a God that's big enough to fix it. And so they committed their lives to Christ. They committed their marriage to Christ. And God did a huge work in their lives. And I will say, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't dreamy. In fact, there were many nights that I went to bed praying that my parents wouldn't divorce. So don't think that just because you're here, you're... You know, everything's going to be perfect. It's not. But when you're committed and you, you come to God and you say, you know what? My life's a mess. I need you to fix it. He's faithful. His word does not turn out void. He will be faithful. That's cool. And we sat down with her parents this week just to kind of understand their journey and understand their story, ask for details. Awkward at times. I'm going to tell you that right now. But... Um, <laughs> And, and they said, uh, I know your mom said to me, she said, you know, a key to this that, that people need to understand, obviously it starts with that turning point, that like wherever you are in the journey, maybe you're in a marriage that's struggling and you get to that place of surrender. I believe God can take the pieces and he can use a surrendered heart and he can, he can put them together. And if you're past that point, but that place of surrender is huge. But then she also said forgiveness is a huge deal. Uh, I had to forgive my ex-spouse and I had to ask for forgiveness and it's interesting because we would say that your family puts the fun in dysfunctional because God's even used kind of those ex, a couple of weeks ago we were having, uh, we were at the Blessing of the Fleet hanging out with her dad's ex-wife and his, uh, her husband who George, her dad calls his husband-in-law. So that's confusing. Not biblical, but cool. So how are things now with, with your, your family and extended family? Well, I would definitely say dysfunction is an understatement, but in a good way for us. And, um, you know, I have such a wonderful relationship with my half-siblings and with um, their respective parents. And, you know, I just have to say, if you follow his word, I mean, the truth is he wants the best life for you. Forgiveness is a choice, and it's for you. It's not, it's not because Jesus says, I, I command you to forgive because that's what you should do. You know, as parents, when we, when we discipline our children, sometimes they don't like the discipline, right? They don't like what we have to say. And helping them to make the right choice isn't always easy. But it's for their own good because we're teaching them. And sometimes it doesn't feel good. But when we follow the word of God... Divorce is not God's best. He's got more for you. 
than that. And he knows the pain that divorce will only bring into your life. So God's grace is sufficient, and I just challenge you, forgive. Forgive, not just because it's the right thing to do, but forgive because it's going to bring healing to your soul. That's good. You know, all of our stories experience brokenness. A lot of them start in brokenness, but because of God's grace, they don't have to end in brokenness. And that's why I wanted you to to meet Lisa. Would you mind just uh, praying with us as we close? Sure. Father God, we just come before you. God, and we know... You know every person in this room, God. You know every relationship that is in this room, Father. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would just be ever-present. God, you are, are so capable of fixing any mess, any circumstance that we might be in. God, I just pray for boldness. I pray for strength for each individual, each couple, to make the, that choice, that tough choice, to stick it out through the hard times, God. And to to trust that you have the best in mind. You have a plan and it is still to prosper, Father. God, we love you. We trust you with our hearts, God. We just pray for all of those who who may be hurting, God. Bring the right people around them. Surround them with with your Holy Spirit, with your presence, and with people who can help weather the storm with them, Father. God, we trust you and we are so grateful for how much you love us, in Jesus' name.